going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 267 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. Today, we are here with a very special edition of the podcast. Shout out to anybody viewing this on YouTube, little video edition here. Today, we are talking about the Thanksgiving slate on DraftKings. Beautiful slate every single year. Three games, all primetime games, all on at their own times. It's it's a beautiful time to be alive. Yeah, one of the best DFS slates of the year. So we had to do a little video on it for the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you are watching. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever, make sure you're following or subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you download each episode, three games, mm-hmm. one game in the afternoon, one game in the midday, and one game at night. Beautiful. We have a lot to discuss on this three-game slate, so I say we just get right into it. I say we do as well. In terms of the Thanksgiving slate as a whole on DFS, we'll go game by game here, but before we get into that, you know, as a whole on Thanksgiving, I think there's a lot of strategy that goes into this slate. There's more late swappability than on a typical DFS slate because you have gaps in between each game to make individual late swap decisions. You get, you know, two late swap points instead of just one. You know, typically it's the 1 p.m. games. You get one chance to late swap off of your lineup onto a different lineup and then that's it. But, you know, on this specific slate, you get the 1230 game, then you get another chance to swap, then you get another chance to swap, which just makes things incredibly interesting from a strategy perspective, especially Joey on this week where, you know, the the first game that we get Buffalo at Detroit is going to be the chalkiest game. It's going to be the most played game, you know, across the entire board. Yeah. Josh Allen at 8K is going to be the highest owned quarterback and He's projecting to be the best value on this entire slate. So he's going to obviously be in a ton of people's lineups, and that's going to give us information on you know where we're at, especially if you decide to fade Josh Allen in tournaments and, and in cash games. I think you're locking in Josh Allen. The value, the projection is just too good. But in tournaments, I think you can get away with a fade. Josh Allen hasn't been that great over his last three games. If we're just looking at it from a fantasy perspective, especially with him being the highest priced quarterback on the slate, you can definitely survive, you know, a 25 or 26 point Josh Allen game. Obviously, if he gets 40, you're totally dusted and you're going to have to make some major late swaps to probably just min cash. But I think in tournaments, you can get away from a fade. It's definitely difficult and it doesn't feel good but maybe this injury is uh, hindering Josh Allen more than the public knows about and I think we're kind of seeing that over the last few weeks or so uh, just with his quarterback play. Yeah, I mean, couldn't agree more. He just looked uncomfortable out there in the game against Cleveland. And I know that there were, you know, extenuating circumstances with that, them traveling late in the week, all of that stuff I'm sure was a mental factor on the team. But Josh Allen just physically looked uncomfortable. It looked like he was a little bit more inaccurate than we've seen in recent years since his ascension to being like a superstar level quarterback. I In cash games, totally agree. You're locking Josh Allen and you're not thinking twice. On the other side of the ball, do you think that you can get away with trying to stack Jared Goff? Because I think that's pretty interesting this week. We just saw on a main slate, Jacoby Brissett be the optimal quarterback play, right? So is it you know out of the range of possibilities that Jared Goff does something similar? We haven't seen him have a ceiling game in many, many weeks. But at the beginning of the year, he did rip a couple off. Week two, he put up 26. Week four, 
he put up 37. So it's within his hypothetical range. And I don't think anybody's going to play Jared Goff in a game that has a nine point higher total than the other two games on the slate, which, you know, certainly interesting. Yeah, Goff is definitely interesting for sure. And 5,200, he's the second cheapest quarterback on this main slate right after Mac Jones. And the game environment is obviously clear cut the best. And you mentioned Jacoby Brissett, who ended up having a nice ceiling game last week against this Bills secondary. And it's definitely possible. Obviously, Jared Goff's skill position players and pass catchers specifically aren't great, especially after they traded TJ Hawkinson. We're looking at a one-man show with ASB pretty much out there. Um, DJ Chark actually returned from an injury last week, didn't play much. Josh Reynolds was also dealing with an injury. He ended up being out. So you're looking at Khalif Raymond and ASB and Jamal Williams. I just don't think Goff has the players to reach his ceiling, but he's obviously 2,800 less than Josh Allen, and that savings uh, definitely helps you lock in some elite talent at the skill positions on this slate so I don't hate it but I definitely don't think he's winning you a tournament um so I probably won't have much golf but the game environment is good the Lions have the third highest implied team total on this slate I think I could see a way but I doubt it actually materializes yeah, I mean, I, I think that right off the bat, just playing golf is contrarian. And then the way that you would build that lineup would be contrarian as well. Amonra St. Brown will be massive chalk, like you mentioned. You know, he'll be the only guy that is played here. But 6,600 for Amonra St. Brown is, is way, way, way too cheap. I think that he'll be stone cold chalk on this slate here. And I kind of like the way that the Lions receiving corps are kind of shaping up, to be honest. Like, yeah, DJ Chark worked in slowly and, you know, the Lions worked Swift back in slowly, but Chark should be worked in a little bit more this week. Josh Reynolds is, I think, expected back. He practiced on a limited basis today on Tuesday. And, you know, Wally Freeman, Khalif is, is doing pretty decent as well. So, I mean, they're not getting anything from their tight ends. It should be a pretty consolidated target share with the Monra St. Brown. If you want to work in one of those other guys as a flyer, like uh, in terms of a low owned double, I think it's it's pretty viable. The story, though, is going to be the Bills side of the ball, right? Like Josh Allen, Stone Cold Chalk, Devin Singletary, 5,700, Stone Cold Chalk, Steph Diggs, and Gabe Davis are going to be two of the five highest owned wide receivers on this slate. So, I mean, how are you planning on playing the Bills side of the ball in, in tournaments where we have to get contrarian on a three-game slate? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're in the best spot on the entire slate. You know, they're in the nut matchup, in a dome. Some say Ford Field is the course field of the NFL where, you know, game scores just get absolutely inflated due to the Lions and how they play. Diggs, he's obviously a great play, and I kind of want to play him in tournaments, so I don't think I'm going to fade him. If there's one chalk Bills player that I will fade, I mean, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody who's listened to any of our podcasts before. It's Devin Singletary for me. I just don't think he's ever a bad fade. You know, I, I just think that Singletary is a player that needs multiple touchdowns to reach his ceiling. He's really providing you nothing in the passing game in terms of receptions, as you can see here, you know, three out of his last four games only two catches or less. Um, obviously, he does have upside, as you could see, nine catches, 11 targets, but those are few and far between for Devin Singletary. The game log obviously isn't great. 15 points on this slate is probably good enough to win you a tournament, but I don't think if you fade Devin Singletary, 15 points isn't 
you know, killing you. It's not knocking you down the leaderboard. You can make up those 15 points elsewhere. And honestly, I think like 18 points is Devin Singletary's ceiling on any Mm. given slate. So I think that if there's one Bills player I'm fading, it's Singletary chalk. I'm not thinking twice about it, to be honest. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. I think there's validity to playing both Bills running backs more so than in the past because Josh Allen's struggles have been so on display. Like 27 pass attempts last week is so abnormal for him, right? And then they started to get some some work out of uh, James Cook, who I think is a really strong contrarian play and great leverage off of all of the rest of the Bills chalk. He'll go unplayed, had 86 yards on 11 attempts last week if he punches one in then he's probably a gpp winner at 4400 and you know completely low ownership so i like james cook as a contrarian play i agree with you on singletary although you're probably plugging him in to cash this week just because the projection is good matchup is good team totals immaculate like i I don't think you need to overthink playing singletary in cash but in tournaments which is you know primarily the focus i think of, Mm -hmm. of thanksgiving because it's just so much more fun you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I think you can definitely get away from Singletary. In terms of Steph Diggs, he is going to be an absolute priority for me on this slate because, you know, in contrast to the rest of the slate, when you're looking at the high-priced running backs, Saquon Barkley and Dalvin Cook, who we'll get to in the other games, I'm looking at both of them as fades at their current prices. So, you know, I, I would rather prioritize getting up to Diggs and Jefferson and playing Amon Ross St. Brown chalk rather than trying to get up to those high-priced running backs. I... I I'm stone cold on the side of playing Steph Diggs everywhere you can get him. And and that's another way that I think Thanksgiving is different is I definitely believe in taking hard stands. Like I will play Diggs in every lineup, you know, that kind of thing. Like I, I take hard stands because if a player is going to be 50 to 60% owned and you want to play them, you got to be overweight the field or else what are you really getting? I totally agree. Stefan Diggs is projecting to be around like 45 to 50% owned. So if you come in overweight, that number I think that's probably uh, plus EV on this slate especially when you take into account you know team context matchup Stefan Diggs is the alpha in this Bills offense coming off of his worst game of the season where for some reason it just looked like he was like visibly frustrated from the jump Josh yeah, Allen he just was emotional wasn't, yeah Josh Allen just wasn't targeting him uh, as he usually targets him his lowest target game of the season last week still ended up scoring a touchdown he actually dropped another touchdown which would have made the box score look extremely better but this is a spike week for Stevon Diggs and if there's one wide receiver or skill position player that I'm paying up for on this slate it's definitely Diggs at 8k um, Diggs Josh Allen that's 16k right there so you're going to need to find salary relievers especially in tournaments if you're playing this um, one way you could do it is by playing Isaiah McKenzie as a contrarian piece in your Josh Allen stacks, maybe playing Dawson Knox, um, but he's going to be chalky. I mean, pretty much all the good players are going to be a little chalky. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about ownership, but there are some pivots you can make, like Khalif Raymond, Isaiah McKenzie in this game, uh, maybe a, a cheap Lions tight end, Brock Wright, James Mitchell right here, 29, 2700, respectively. Um, Jamal Williams, we didn't talk about, 5900 as a contrarian piece in this game, multiple touchdown upside anytime he touches the field. So there are ways to get different in this game. And if you're playing a Josh Allen 
Diggs stack, um, you're, you're going to need one of these guys like Jamal Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, Brock Wright, somebody like that, James Cook. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely contrarian ways to go about this game. Khalil Shakir at min price, I think, is at least semi-interesting. Like, it's it's disgusting, and he's only playing 25, 30% of snaps, but in that One cheap same... wide receiver, sorry to cut you off, yeah, one no, cheap wide receiver always goes off on Thanksgiving. Oh, every 100%. single Every single year. Last year was Josh Reynolds. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was somebody from this game, you know, with, with Shakir out there, DJ Chark under 4K, McKenzie 4K, Raymond and, and Reynolds both there. I think that you're probably going to end up needing one of those guys. It's just hard to figure out which, but luckily they're all so contrarian that you don't have to like play into chalk with any of them. And, and naturally you're getting contrarian with, with those guys. The other thing I would just say that is specific to Thanksgiving and small slates like this is that you can expand the way that you stack teams and stack games. Like like, I think that you can triple or quadruple stack Josh Allen because there's a chance that the Bills put up, you know, 14 to 17 more points than the next closest team. Like if mm-hmm. other offenses bust, definitely something to consider on this slate. I think that's just about everybody that we need to hit on from this game. Let's move on to game number two, New York at Dallas. Cowboys are nine and a half point favorites 45 and a half total nine points lower than the bills game second highest total on the slate so we're getting descending totals here it's going to start off hot and then just gradually get worse and worse throughout (laughs) the day in terms of these games but we got the giants coming off of a loss to detroit and dallas coming off of a monster blowout victory over the vikings what are your initial thoughts on the way that this game plays out yeah i mean i think that the cowboys definitely dominate this game I think the Giants are going to be in trail mode for a majority of the game. The Cowboys defense has just been super, super dominant in 2022. And I don't see that changing against this Giants offense. that just lost Wandale Robinson. So, you know, they're starting offenses. Daniel Jones, Richie James Jr., Darius Slayton, Tanner Hudson, Saquon Barkley. They'll mix Matt Breda in. Um, they have Marcus Johnson as, you know, another player on the outside. This is just not a good team, in my opinion. And I Mm -hmm. think the Cowboys roll, but this is the game, in my opinion, that is going to be the lowest owned or have the lowest owned players in the entire slate. Some players like Tony Pollard are probably going to go a little bit under owned than they should. Saquon Barkley as well. I don't think anybody is going to play any of these cheap Giants wide receivers in Richie James or Marcus Johnson or Isaiah Hodgins or whomever on the Giants side of the ball. CeeDee Lamb, I think, is going to be like secondary chalk right behind Diggs and Amonra. Maybe Gallup comes in a little bit under own as well. So there's definitely some contrarian plays in this game, but overall, I don't love this game environment but from a tournament perspective i do think that this would be a you know the the contrarian game to target uh yeah i i definitely agree with that tony pollard won't be sneaky but i do like him as probably my favorite running back as you know leverage off of stevenson singletary chalk he's just so so good giants are allowing the second most explosive runs runs over 20 plus yards between the two backs here i think it's pretty obvious that if any back is breaking off long explosive runs between him and ezekiel elliott it's definitely tony pollard and as far as fantasy goes i mean pollard's been an absolute machine six targets in two consecutive games and i think that really is a signal especially looking at last week that he got six targets in a blowout 
win. Like it wasn't like they were trailing or anything like that. That just shows that Tony Pollard's receiving acumen is part of the game plan on a week to week basis, regardless of script, which is really, really strong for him in terms of fantasy, especially on full PPR DraftKings. And then in terms of touchdowns, like he's obviously running incredibly hot with six touchdowns over the last three games. Like if you take both of his touchdowns off the board last week, he's still getting you 26.9 points on DraftKings. If you take, you know, two of his three touchdowns off the board against the Bears in week eight, he's still putting up 21 points on DraftKings. Like that to me is a player that you need to have exposure to on a slate like this, especially in a good matchup. Giants giving up the fifth most rushing yards to opposing backs. I I think Tony Pollard is going to be my most owned running back on this slate over Stevenson and Singletary. Yeah, I mean, I definitely love Tony Pollard. Obviously, when you're looking at projections, they're not going to love Pollard because they are factoring in Zeke touches. And, you know, Zeke only played, what, 29% of the snaps in that Week 11 game. But I think that definitely increases, you know, in a more competitive game. And he's a couple weeks removed from his injury as well now. So, that's the reason projections don't really love Pollard and they have Singletary and Ramondre as chalk above Tony but I mean he's an explosive player and one of the best offenses in the NFL and they have the second highest implied team total on the slate 27 and a half which is obviously very very good at home in a smash spot I don't think you fade Tony Pollard I think you play them everywhere and you find ways to get difference elsewhere. One of my favorite ways just going back is probably just playing Tony Pollard and uh, James Cook instead Mm -hmm. of Devin Singletary. If I'm running two running back lineups, are there any other players that pique your interest for tournaments in this game? Are you interested in Dak or Daniel Jones? You know, as a pivot off of Josh Allen chalk, C.D. Lamb, 7,100 is probably going to be chalky. Dalton Schultz, 3,800 is probably going to be a little chalky. Who are you fading? Who are you playing? I mean, I'm definitely going to have some Dak exposure. Like, I think that if I'm stacking anybody other than Allen or Goff, you know, from that first game, it would be Dak Prescott. The ceiling on this offense, I think, is extremely high. They didn't have to show it last week because it, the game was in control from the jump. But, you know, I think that playing the passing game and going back to Gallup, like it didn't work out last week. We talked about it on the stream, but I think you can 100% go back to Michael Gallup. Just from a theory perspective, it makes a ton of sense when CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz are going to be so chalky and Gallup does have upside, at least theoretically. We haven't seen it in a while, but I do believe he has it. Darius Slayton also not going to to be that owned and obviously you know as a podcast we've been big believers in Darius Slayton for a long time Godius you know and Galladay non-factor like you mentioned Richie James Tanner Hudson all these other bums on the team are just non-factors so if anybody is able to give any sort of production whatsoever for the Giants at receiver I do think it's Darius Slayton you know he's had pretty good yardage totals over the past couple of weeks if you take a look at his game log 86 95 66 touchdowns mixed in two over the last four I think that there's some potential upside with Darius Slayton and if I get to play my boy Godius on a short slate you know I'm jumping at the opportunity yeah I mean obviously 5,000 I think is a little too pricey for Darius Slayton on the slate but on a three-game slate I guess it's okay I probably won't have much Slayton exposure I kind of just don't want any exposure to the Giants offense unless it's just a super cheap piece and you know like Richie James or Marcus Johnson and just referencing what I said earlier you know you're going to need the cheap wide receiver that goes off I don't know who that's going to be we can't predict the future if we could we probably wouldn't be here Mm -hmm. you know recording this podcast 
but I can tell you right now, you are going to need a cheap wide receiver. I think Richie James is definitely interesting um, at 3,400. I think he's probably my favorite play if we're you know picking a Giants wide receiver in tournaments. I just want the price tag of thirty four hundred. I want the savings, and Richie James does have you know fifteen to twenty point games in his range. And even if he gets you ten at thirty four hundred, you might need him to you know bank a tournament on the slate. Yeah, so I like Richie James. I think because of his price and the way that the rest of the cash game build fits that he's going to end up being in a lot of cash game lineups which i think will boost his ownership projection from what we're looking at right now where he's at like 15 percent. i mean if he's going to be chalk and cash that'll probably be closer to 30 or 40 and at that point i think i would rather just take you know somebody from one of the other games you know one of the cheap patriots receivers or try and play someone from the lions bills game if he's going to be stone cold chalk we'll see how that goes um as the rest of the week develops for sure. Saquon Barkley, I mean, that's a conversation we have to have. He's going to be, you know, one of the more owned running backs on the slate. A lot of people will probably pay up to Saquon Barkley because we're looking for ceiling at the running back position. So are you interested in playing Saquon Barkley on the road as an underdog? The question with him, I think, is whether or not the Giants revert to using him more in the passing game. We saw the target number jump back up last week from, you know, his previous season low one target game in week 10 back up to five, which is sort of the average spot that he's been in. Still only caught two for 13 though. So, I mean, Barkley's ceiling has seemingly been relatively capped for a little while now. Is this a spot where you think he could get back on track? You know, the first matchup against Dallas put up 22.6 points. Yeah. I mean, obviously Saquon has one of the highest ceilings of any running back in the NFL. And on this slate, he is going to be, you know, secondary running back chalk. So I think he is a good tournament pivot. Um, I think he's just a nice pivot off of digs at the same price. I think he's a nice pivot off of the chalkier running backs that are a little bit cheaper than him. But if you're playing Saquon Barkley, you realistically need him to score 30-plus for you. So you just have to ask yourself, am I going to get 30-plus DraftKings points out of Saquon Barkley on this slate against the Cowboys on the road, big underdogs, terrible offense? I don't I don't know if he gets there. But I guess when you take into account the entire con- context of the slate and you, you know, you're comparing him to other running backs, I, I think that you definitely need Saquon exposure, and there's realistic ranges of outcomes where Saquon Barkley scores like 10 or 15 more points than the next best running back outside of Delvin Cook. So I I, I think he he's a tough player to to gauge this week, in my opinion. I I, I really don't know if I'm gonna fade or play Saquon. Yeah, I mean at, at this point in the week, I I truly think that the way that I intend to play this slate would be by fading both Saquon and Dalvin Cook and just sort of living in the mid range. And if I'm trying to get contrarian at running back, do so with you know Damian Harris, which we'll get to in a minute, or or James Cook, or even DeAndre Swift for cheap. Like I, I think I would rather take shots there, but. You make a good point. Saquon Barkley has the type of ceiling that you could absolutely need him. It's just very hard at 8K when he's the same exact price as Steph Diggs. And and Diggs is in such a better spot. It's not even close. But I mean, mean, one for one, I'm taking Diggs over Saquon in 9 out of 10 lineups probably. Yeah, ownership included. Um, Yeah. 
any any interest in Zeke Elliott, you know, on this slate? You talked about how he could potentially eat more into Pollard's work a little bit, more removed from the injury another week to get healthy, although it's only been, you know, what, three or four days, but still 5,800 for Zeke. He punched two touchdowns in last week, still only put up 17 points. How do you feel about Zeke on this slate? He'll be a contrarian pivot off of Pollard. I don't hate him. Obviously, his ceiling is low and you need pretty much for him to score a touchdown or two touchdowns. Like you're you're not getting a hundred yard bonus out of Zeke at this point in his career. You're not getting anything in terms of receptions. But if he gets you fifteen to twenty points at fifty eight hundred, I mean, he could be in the optimal lineup. So I don't think he's a terrible tournament pivot especially if Tony Pollard is going to be a little bit more chalky but I do believe that Zeke now is the Cowboys RB2 and Tony Pollard has you know firmly entrenched himself as the go-to guy for the Cowboys uh, out of the backfield but Zeke still is a threat to score multiple touchdowns and all, all it takes is the Cowboys getting down to the one yard line and they're putting in Zeke. Yeah, definitely. We saw that last week where Tony Pollard got two attempts at the goal line, couldn't punch him in, and they threw Zeke in to finish the job. So yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that we kind of see Zeke's role sort of shift into that being the goal line, you know, first, second down grinder in a lot of spots, rotating that work with Pollard, but maybe dominating the goal line if that's how they view him. In terms of the rest of this game, I think that's just about you know, everybody that we have any interest in, unless you have contrarian interest in Daniel Jones, who's, you know, had a lot of rushing production in terms of the quarterback position, but I just really struggle to see him getting there on the road, second division matchup against an elite defense. Yeah, no, I I don't, I don't love Daniel Jones. I think he's a fade and, you know, I I just looked this up though. You know, this is, this is a, this is an easy question to answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it anyways. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know who Ezekiel Elliott's last 100-yard rushing game was against? The New York Giants. The New York Giants <laughs> last season. Would it shock you if that was the last 100-yard game of his career? He went 21 carries for 110 yards and one touchdown averaged 5.2 yards per carry. That is his last 100-yard game of the season. The Giants have a worse run defense this year. Will we see a Zeke bounce back game against a team that you know he has kind of dominated it I don't know kind of talking me into it now I might talk, have to, I'm might talking have to us some... into talking us into playing Ezekiel Elliott in 2022 how disgusting yeah I mean it is disgusting Cowboys are not gonna be one of the top two owned defenses either so you know you could rock a little you know Cowboys Zeke correlation just for the vibes <laughs> that sounds like a a good uh, tournament strategy to me. Yeah, I, I like that. All right, let's finish things off here with our final game. We have your New England Patriots headed to Minnesota. Two and a half point favorites are the Vikings 42 and a half total in this game. Can the Patriots do it? Can they go in there and upset the fraudulent Vikings? I think they can. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that they're definitely live to win this game for sure. I think that the Vikings are obviously very talented on the ball, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up beating New England. I do think it is going to be a close game. Obviously, I think Kirk Cousins just isn't that good, and Bill Belichick can definitely scheme away certain players, but the talent that they have on offense should shine through. I think this is still a good spot for Justin Jefferson. I mean, you see see the... Red, you know, second on the screen. 
mean if you're watching this on YouTube. Justin Jefferson, 8,200. We limit fantasy production to opposing wide receivers, but nobody in the Patriots secondary can match up with Justin Jefferson. Literally nobody. He should be able to eat in this game. I think that Delvin Cook is... He's tough because obviously the you know production kind of just hasn't been there and the matchup is a little bit tougher. But this Patriots defense is not that great. You know, they are top five, top ten in the NFL in terms of points allowed, but they've also kind of ha- have had a cupcake schedule where they really haven't played any, you know, very good offenses. And when they do play good offenses, they get torched. So I think this would be a spot where I kind of want to buy into the Vikings skill position players, especially if they're not going to be owned at all. So Delvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, um, Adam Thielen, etc. Probably just fade Kirk Cousins. So kind of kind of just stacking the Vikings without Cousins. I suppose I could see that. But if the Vikings team is going to be doing well without Cousins, it, it would almost have to be through Cook. Uh, scoring rushing touchdowns no and and that to me seems pretty tough because the Patriots I mean yeah the schedule has been favorable for them but they've allowed the fewest touchdowns to opposing running backs this season they're not allowing much through the receiving game either uh, six fewest catches and six fewest yards as well to opposing running backs Dalvin Cook's only gone over 17 fantasy points three times this year and you know one of those was based off of a fluky 81 yard rush attempt uh, against the Bills two weeks ago so I don't really know how I feel about Dalvin Cook. I think I'm very comfortable fading him against the Patriots. And not to mention, you know, this is a, uh, they're all primetime games because they're all individual (laughs) island games, but this is a late night game, primetime, the primest of all times. Kirk Cousins could easily just show up and be a complete potato and Bill Belichick have his number and absolutely, you know, dominate um, on that side of the ball. I mean, the Vikings are eight and two with a negative point differential. I don't think that's ever happened in the league before. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Vikings are not as good as their record indicates. You know, they've won a lot of close games, which is definitely a skill, you know, mm-hmm. to win close games. But I think, you know, they're they're still home favorites. They're definitely live. I think that the stats are just very, very skewed. You know, I'm a Patriots fan, and you would expect me to be biased, but I'm not being biased at all when I say this. They've had a cupcake schedule. Let me just quickly uh, tell you who they've played over the last five or six weeks. They've played the Jets twice, the Colts, the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hmm. So I don't really care that they've limited opposing you know, running backs and wide receivers because they've played horrible teams. This is yeah. the best team that they have played so far this season uh, because they have not played the Buffalo Bills yet. So I think that the Vikings skill position players are going to eat personally. I think Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson are both going to eat in this game against this defense just because I I, I know this team, bro. I, I know it. You know that I'm I'm really in tune with this with this squad and they're not as good as the stats indicate. I'll tell you that right now. That's an interesting take. I didn't really expect you to have it, but that makes me think about things a little bit differently. So props to you for that anecdotal evidence there in terms of the Patriots side of the ball you know on the surface I'm really interested in the Patriots like obviously Ramondre Stevenson is a phenomenal play his workload has been incredible especially when you look at what he's done 
in the receiving game, you know, five or more targets in every game since week six. And he's an absolute producer and he deserves to be the highest on running back on the slate, which he will be. But in the same token, Damian Harris came back last week and he didn't get too much work, but he looked incredible on the work he was getting. I feel like every time that Patriots game came up, we were seeing Damian Harris make a play only eight attempts, but was averaging 8.1 yards per touch, 65 yards. And we know that Damian Harris is a player who can punch in two or three touchdowns in any given week. Ownership projections have Ramondre as the highest owned running back and Damian Harris as a complete afterthought. Like we might get Damian Harris at 5% owned this week. You know, on a three-game slate, that would probably make him my favorite running back play in tournaments. Yeah, I mean, Damian Harris under 5% is definitely a very, very good play, especially if his workload increases, which I think it should. I mean, Damian Harris is a very talented running back. So is Ramondre Stevenson, though, but the ownership discrepancy between both players, I think, is just way, way too high, Um, if especially if these current ownership projections hold up with Harris being 2 or 3% in large field tournaments. I think that's just incorrect, and Harris is a threat to score multiple touchdowns any time he touches the field, and you know I, I do believe that going down this stretch run, both running backs will be used uh, more evenly than it's been in recent weeks. So Damian Harris, I think he's a little overpriced, but I think he is a good tournament pivot for sure. And then in terms of the wide receivers, I mean, we've talked about how, you know, every Thanksgiving you're going to need one of these cheap guys to go off. Do you have any interest or lean in these Patriots guys? Cause I think they're pretty hard to decipher between, but we've seen ceilings from these guys, you know, all of these guys really at different points, Devonte Parker, Earlier in the year, had a monster game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, five uh, for 156. That was huge. Tyquan Thornton had a multi-touchdown game. Nelson Aguilar has had big games in the past. Even Kendrick Bourne, who's out there running more routes than Aguilar. I mean, do you have a lean between any of these guys? I think it's a good matchup. You know, Minnesota has a very good defense up front, but in terms of the secondary, they're extremely beatable. I mean, Tyquan Thornton's the interesting one to me. He's an absolute burner, 3,300, and nobody's going to play him. Nobody's going to play any of these cheap Patriots wide receivers. I think, you know, if they're all healthy, Devontae Parker, you know, he's been kind of banged up a little bit, which has definitely limited his production. As you can see, only two catches on two targets last week. My favorite's obviously Jacoby. If I had to pick, you know, a cheap Patriots wide receiver outside of Jacoby. It's definitely a crapshoot because all three of these guys, you know, all four are kind of just rotating in and there's no set wide receiver to it's Jacoby and then everybody else. I think upside wise, you're probably going with Aguilar or Devontae Parker there. I know Tyquan Thornton does have, you know, blazing speed and he has a multi-touchdown game, but I think out of all of these receivers, he's going to play the least. Aguilar actually ended up playing the second most amount of snaps at wide receiver for the Patriots week 11 against the Jets. So Aguilar is definitely interesting 3,100, but I think you are right that one of these cheap Patriots wide receivers can definitely uh, be a tournament winner for sure. And, you know, it's whatever one is out there when, uh, you know, they're in the red zone if they ever get there and they score the touchdown. Yeah, I mean, especially, right, if this game plays out sort of the way that you were talking about it, where, like, if the Vikings put up a lot of points and put the Patriots in trail mode, then I think that, you know, it's definitely reasonable because, you know, all these guys, realistically, I think Parker, Thornton, even Aguilar can burn the Vikings secondary. Like, their secondary is very slow. So, 
it's just interesting to me, especially as massive leverage off of the highest owned running back on the slate, which will be Ramondre. You did mention Jacoby. We kind of skipped over him, but like, I don't want to assume that everybody is assuming what we are, but Jacoby Myers should be very chalky this week. I think that he'll be in cash game builds as he should be. And, you know, Jacoby's a great play. Last thing that we can touch on here, TJ Hawkinson is the highest priced tight end on the slate at 5K. His target numbers have been absolutely phenomenal since joining the team. 9, 10, and 9. Are you interested in paying up for TJ Hawkinson here? And how do you think that his, you know, matchup is against the Patriots? I, I don't think the matchup is horrible, although the Patriots have done, you know, a pretty good job of limiting opposing tight ends. And I would really just credit that to Kyle Duggar. You know, he's been playing out of his mind this season. And Adrian Phillips is also really good against opposing tight ends as well. So I don't love TJ Hawkinson. I'm probably not playing any in any of the lineups that I run um, just because because of the price tag and I just think that the ceiling is just extremely low even though the target share has been very good I just think the the Patriots will do a good job of uh making sure TJ Hawkinson doesn't beat them you mm. know like he he's not a player that they're really gonna have to worry about he's a player that the, they'll be able to to scheme him away even though the Patriots linebacking core is not great and they are pretty slow but TJ Hawkinson you know isn't killing anybody with his speed no he he certainly isn't take it from a battered Lions fan there were no uh, hard feelings when he left within the division I was like there you go Vikings good luck um what about Hunter Henry at 3,100? Do you have any interest there? I mean, he hasn't really been a producer this season, but he was productive last year. And Johnny Smith had probably the biggest bonehead almost fumble that I've seen all season. Dude literally dropped the ball like nobody was near him. That was just a wild play to see. So, I mean, maybe he's in the doghouse. Who knows? But I don't know. Hunter Henry, 3,100. Everybody's in play on a three-game slate. Oh, you are right. Everybody is definitely in play. He's... uh. He's very cheap, 3100 Definitely a pay-down option for sure. I don't love it. I just honestly don't love this Patriots passing game in general. It's broken. You know, I think we were both right coming into the season in terms of this Patriots team. I said that they were going to win more than what you expected, and they are uh, just because it's a Bill Belichick-led team. They're going to be competitive and, and win games, but I think you were also right and saying that, you know, Matt Patricia and changing coordinators and uh, all of this rhetoric about the Patriots offense just being trash before the season, and you were on that, and I, I think that's true. I think that this offense is just broken. Obviously, they're they're finding ways to win games, which they always do, but I wouldn't really rely on, you know, any Patriots player to help you win, you know, a million dollars on this slate. That's my take. Yeah, no, I'll tell you how the slate is going to go. It's going to be a sweat for whoever's at the top of the, the GPP teams. They're going to be, you know, sitting there looking really good and just sweating every single play because they have no players left and just hoping that nobody goes nuke in this game. I remember it from a few years ago, or maybe that was Christmas I'm thinking of when Alvin Kamara scored six touchdowns or five touchdowns yeah. or some shit, but Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, I love these holiday slates. They always are really good. Always a great, you know, excuse to completely ignore your family that you haven't seen in a while because you have to, you know, sweat whether or not Hunter Henry is going to get another catch on the last drive of the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these uh, small slates are obviously very, very fun you know, more fun than the main slates recently for sure. Definitely got to fire some lineups in, always do well. And, you know, we could uh, end this 
podcast off with you know just some some tournament takes what do you what do you need to win a tournament this week both of us have done very well in the past you know few thanksgiving slates where the lions obviously play every thanksgiving the strat has been you know play the opposing team bring it back with a lion and fill the rest of your lineup out you know you had the deshaun watson to will fuller year Mm-hmm. They went absolutely nuke last year. I forgot who the Lions played, but I I know Josh Reynolds went nuke. There was a Bears game in there when some terrible Bears receiver went crazy. It wasn't Anthony Miller, but it was somebody from that era. I can't remember. Wims? Was it was it Javon Wims or some shit like that? Last year, they, the Bears and Lions played. Darnell Mooney went 5 for 123 mm-hmm. against the Bears. Josh Reynolds went 3 for 70 and 1. So, you know, you're you're going to need players from every game, but that, that's been the winning strat has been kind of playing the early game with the Lions because they always play in the early game, stack the opposing team, fill out the rest of your roster. But what wins this year? Is it the same? Is it stacking the bills? And I, I think it's finding contrarian pieces to that game, you know, and I guess that that's the one thing that I would leave the people with is like, you know, we talked about, you know, trying to find contrarian Giants receivers or contrarian Patriots receivers or, or this and that. But I think it makes a lot more sense to find your contrarian options from the game that has the highest potential to go nuclear. And it's clearly this game. So, you know, why waste shots on Richie James when you could take that same shot on Isaiah McKenzie or, you know, Khalif Raymond or Josh Reynolds or, you know, any of those guys in that range. Even Khalil Shakir, I think, is a better play than some of the Patriots guys just because he's attached to Josh Allen in a far superior matchup. So I think that, you know, you're going to want to build good teams, but make sure that you're willing to embrace the risk of mixing in these very, you know, poorly projecting but high upside just off the game environment type of plays from this game. James Cook is probably my favorite just because Devin Singletary, as chalky as he's going to be in as good of a spot as it is, James Cook looked really, really good last week, averaging 7.8 yards per attempt. This is the part of the season where rookies pop off. We talked about it on our most recent podcast, and I think that Cook could definitely be a winner if he punches a, you know, a score in. He doesn't need to go completely nuclear, but if he gets you 15-16 at 4,400 as leverage off of Devin Singletary, I think he's an immaculate play. He's probably going to be my favorite running back play from this game just to get you know contrarian and different no I I totally agree and um James Cook has a lot of outs now like he has outs in the receiving game which he's been working as you know a pass catching running back in that offense he has outs to a big rushing day he has outs to the Bills getting up big and you know just kind of being the back that comes in and closes out the game matchup obviously very very good team total very very good and he was going to be like my long shot so uh thanks for stealing that welcome but yeah, James Cook, 4%, definitely looks very, very strong. Other tournament thoughts that you have uh, for the people? I mean, my my other favorite, I already talked about Damian Harris a lot. I really, really want to play into the, you know, just uncertainty of the Patriots' backfield. Like, that's been one of the most predominant narratives in fantasy football for years. And I feel like because Ramondre is on this stretch run that people forget it. But like, would it surprise you if Damian Harris came out in this game and Bill Belichick just fed him the rock and, you know, he punched two in and ended up, you know, with more attempts than Stevenson. Like, I think that's totally in the range, not necessarily likely, but in the range. Absolutely. And Damian Harris, I mean, he's even had some, some decent rushing production or um, some decent receiving production, two plus targets in three straight games. Like if you're getting two targets, that's a cherry on top for Damian Harris, since you're really just playing him for the touchdown upside like Harris a lot. Other than that, the last thing that I didn't mention yet that I would like to say is that on a slate like this, I think you can break all the rules. You can play your 
stacks against the defense that they're going against. That's totally fine. In my opinion, you can play any defense you want, regardless of the players you have. And I think you can do things like play both running backs from the same team, depending on field size, probably wouldn't do it in like a milli size tournament. But I think if you're playing smaller field stuff, like there are paths to Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott being in the winning lineup. There are paths to Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris being in the winning lineup together. Like if the entire field busts and both guys get you, you know, 15 plus you're, you're sailing to the money. Like we saw the Lions running backs have four touchdowns combined last week. That could absolutely happen with these teams that have, you know, multiple dynamic players the way that the Cowboys, Lions and Patriots do in the backfield. So that's a way that I'll definitely look to get contrarian and and make some wild lineups. Yeah, I mean, on on a three game slate, you definitely have to get unique and that's a prime spot to get unique at is definitely running back. Um, I think another spot that you're going to have to nail I already mentioned this is cheap wide receiver. You're going to need one of these guys. I don't remember a Thanksgiving slate, you know, since we've started doing this podcast where a cheap wide receiver hasn't been in the winning tournament lineup, you know, whether that be Cole Beasley from a few years ago, Josh Reynolds, and and some other guys that I'm definitely forgetting. You're going to need one of these guys. My favorite would be Nelson Aguilar, 3,100. I like that. I like the call. Nelson Aguilar. Two for 38 and zero incoming. <laughs> nah, more like, you know, I don't know. Five Ten for a hundred and one. That would be immaculate. I, I would love to see that. Look, man, I think that that's going to be it for this episode of the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. Shout out to the people. Hope everybody out there has a great Thanksgiving. Be on the lookout for our normal full main slate podcast that'll be available on the feed. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on within the network, join the inner circle via our free Discord chat link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. We're thankful for you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.